So I said, did you see that lady? And I asked him again and he goes, yeah. I said, are we going to help him? And he said, why would I do that? And just that little phrase to me, for some reason, just shattered my heart because like, I thought that was my dad and I, I thought we had a pact with each other that we help people. This episode is brought to you by The Parlor Hair and Body Salon. With a quick reminder, it's okay to take time for yourself. Hi, I'm Chelsea. You're listening to Beyond the Picket Fence, where you're invited to take a break from keeping it together. Let's get real. If there's someone whose side of the story I rarely take into consideration, it's my parents. When I think about my parents, it's usually in like a selfish way. What can they do for me? I always look to them like they are the ones that know what the heck they're doing. (laughs) When I became a mom, I've come to realize parents are just big kids trying to figure it out for themselves too. I love my parents. They are amazing. And if we are being totally real, I think it can be easy also to get irritated with our parents too sometimes. As you grow up and form your own life view, sometimes that idea of what your parents need to do for you takes over. Have you ever stepped back and looked at your parents as their own person? Honestly, I haven't. I was excited to really hear my mom's story. I learned why she is the way she is. And guess what? She's doing her best too. I'm Deborah Thomas and I'm Chelsea's mom, which it'll only take just a little while for you to figure that out. So we might as well just tell you that from the beginning. She's my fourth daughter and I have five daughters and one son, which I lost. And that's me. I have a a lot of background in education. Spent a lot of time of my life teaching choir, which is something I really love to do. I never looked at the clock. I just loved working with high school age kids, creating shows and empowering students. And I've served in other positions when needed to meet the needs of my family. Sometimes I haven't worked, but I love learning and I love education. I've watched my mom endure a ton of trials in our lives. Where were we even going to focus our attention? I really want to understand who she is and humanize her in my brain by hearing about the part I wasn't there for, her childhood. My childhood. Let's see. One cool thing about me is I had really, really beautiful long hair. And my mom was really proud of that. And she has a couple of pictures of it, not a lot, because she always was going to get a picture taken of me. It went all the way down to the back of my knees and it was beautiful. My mom had a lot of pride in my hair and always made me look really good. But my older brother, Kip and I, we have always been really close together. Well, my mom says when I was born as a baby, My brother really liked me, but he covered me up completely with a blanket, almost suffocating me (laughs) because he's trying to take such good care of me. So we're always really good friends and in our life. And he's like a main person in my life that's steady and stable. And we're the only two people that understand really everything that has happened in our family. I've never met my grandfather on my mom's side, or at least I never remember meeting him. And we never really talked about him. Not to avoid it, but just because I was in my own little world and never really cared to ask. It's about time that I asked. My dad was in sports and he also 
had a beautiful voice. His voice sounded pretty similar to Elvis Presley. It was warm, loving, and I used to love to listen to him sing. And he would sing in church a lot, and he would be in extra performances outside of church. He's a very loving, caring person and loved to visit with people. And so much so that sometimes he forgot to actually come back home because he was out visiting with someone. So he just had a really warm, loving heart. I spent a lot of time with him. I was really a nervous child when I was younger. And I'm not sure why it might be because my parents had some struggles with each other, but I was very nervous and I had trouble sometimes falling asleep. And then I'd feel like I was going to be sick. So my dad would sit in the bathroom and read the newspaper or book while I sat there trying to decide if I was going to be sick or not. And he never complained. He just hung out with me for a really long time. We always went on errands to get stuff for my mom. We always got stuff to eat and went to cool places and restaurants. So we really, we really were kindred spirits. And my dad taught me at a really young age that it's really important to care for other people and to show love and to take time to like, if there was someone who was having problems or needed help, or just if you saw anyone that needed anything, he would stop what he was doing and give his whole self to whoever was in need. So that was something that I feel like has stayed with me. And so that's a little bit about my dad. They were members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But while my grandpa had a long history of strong active membership in his family and ancestry, my grandma came from a home where the father of the home was not a member and they didn't go to church a lot. So my grandma attended church by herself quite often. She was just always, you know, wanted the best for herself and for her future family. She was a dancer, an excellent dancer. She was offered a position in a famous ballet company. She was trained by a famous ballet dancer named Miss Kasaya. I can't remember her first name was. I actually took ballet lessons from her a couple of times. And just once or twice, she is a good ballet teacher. And it was really, really difficult. So I was thinking, oh my gosh, my mom went through this for her whole life. You know, my mom was beautiful. She had lots of friends, lots of boyfriends, and she loved learning. And she embraced the gospel on her own. Everything she did, she did on her own. My grandparents met in high school. Grandpa was a lot older than my grandma, so he had time to leave on a mission for our church for two years and come back by the time she graduated. And he wanted to marry my grandma. He basically said, well, either you can take the ballet position or you can marry me because there's not going to be two things. And so it was a really difficult decision for my mom because she had, there was another guy that she really, really liked too. And the other thing is she knew that if she married my dad, then she would be married in the LDS temple and her mom and dad wouldn't be able to come. And she really loved her mom and dad. They meant a lot to her. They're a really close knit family. So actually my mom said yes to my dad and they got married in the LDS temple. And there's some rules that you have to follow to be able to go in. And so my grandparents weren't able to go in. And my grandparents, I don't believe were very happy with my mom for the choice that she made. They just didn't feel comfortable with it. And so actually it wasn't until the very last few hours that they decided to move all the furniture back in their house and just have a tiny little wedding reception for them. And so that was a really hard thing 
for my mom to do. And I think that caused a strain on my parents' marriage right from the beginning. My grandma couldn't have kids for a while, but after a bunch of needles in the stomach that were super painful, she had my uncle Kip. Two years later, they had my mom. My parents did end up getting divorced when I got married. I really do believe that my parents loved each other. I just think that they frustrated each other because first of all, my mom had to give up something she really loved for my dad. And that was a big sacrifice. Many things like giving up, you know, not having her parents be there for when she was married and giving up dance. And then my mom sacrificed a lot to help my dad go through school. My mom laid out three major problems. They were one, money, two, her dad's dishonesty, and three, he would leave and be gone with no hint of when he'd be returning. When I was a freshman in high school, we all went out and we sat on our suitcases next to the Plymouth Duster waiting for my dad to show up. And seriously, we started in the morning and my dad said he was going to be home anytime, anytime. And so it was sunset before we left and we all traded turns, you know, going in and getting snacks. And we sat on those suitcases. And then, of course, because my dad was late, it wasn't a fun trip because, you know, my parents weren't really happy with each other. And we were in a Plymouth Duster. So we had four of us in the back and it's, you know, we were pretty, I was a freshman. So, I mean, I can remember we had to draw lines on the seat. So like, don't go past here or whatever, you know, it was just never fun when we went on vacations. It was really actually kind of torture to go on vacations. And my mom loved to go on vacations and see beautiful places like Yellowstone Park and stuff. But my dad just never could quite get places on time. And, and that was so irritating. And then he didn't remember where he spent money. And then she tried to save for things and it wasn't there. She was just so frustrated with him. It was honest frustration. And so then when he finally did arrive on the scene, you know, when you're frustrated with someone, it's got to come out on them. You just can't hold inside. I just, it's kind of like a play that you practice and you never can get the entrances and exits correct. It's just like (laughs) always off. But I really did love both my parents. My mom is like a sister to me and she's given me everything she has. Like anything she could teach me, she's driven me to lessons and I'm a musician and I have, I got a scholarship in music and have a lot of talents. And my dad had natural talents in music and my mom helped me grow those talents and she was consistent and she sacrificed a lot for me. That's kind of what happened is the three things about my dad that were so annoying and irritating just cause disrest in our house all the time. Disrest was the gentle way my mom was trying to say that there was a lot of yelling in their home. And so, you know, this happens for a lot of kids and I can see it in the education system. You can see kids in classrooms when you're walking by and you see a teacher talks loudly, you'll see some kids shudder, you know, their shoulders will shudder or they'll just act really uncomfortable. And I recognize that feeling because To me, loud voices cause me pain. Well, I don't know how my mom survived me and my sisters. I'm like so loud. Sorry, mom. But if you're raised in a happy, you know, where the relationship is good with your parents and it might be loud in your house, but it's not representing stress or pain, it wouldn't be, you know, a big problem. But my parents did. My mom just spoke the truth, really. She just 
had to say things that were true. And it was hard for my dad to face the truth and that would make him angry. And he wasn't really super able to control his temper. But I have to say, my mom was always honest and I don't really feel that she ever said anything that I probably wouldn't have said in a relationship. But because of that, my dad would get mad. And so there's times my dad would leave and I could hear the wheels squealing down the road, just like in a movie (laughs) or, you know, angry voices and just meanness. My dad could be really, really mean and hurtful. But I am proud of my mom that she still said what needed to be said. I don't think she tried ever to be rude or anything. She just was stating facts. (laughs) Maybe the timing wasn't perfect, but she was just stating facts. When one of these particular fights got really bad, my grandma packed up the kids. There were four of them now, by the way. They packed up without my grandpa and left to Idaho for the entire summer. While we were gone, my dad was lonely and he decided he wanted to pursue a relationship with somebody else. And that little situation grew into lies and more lies from my dad that it eventually caused him to not be able to see the truth anymore. And when he finally talked to my mom about this relationship, I can remember that night in our house because I've never heard someone cry such a painful hurtful cry as someone who's, you know, given everything in a relationship and then find out that, you know, your spouse is not faithful. They tried moving across town to work it out for a long time. They even had another son. At this point, my mom was an adult and just married. I talked to my mom and I said, you just, I feel like after now that I'm married, I had just gotten married. I feel like after I got married that My mom deserved to have a happy marriage and to be treated well and not to keep trying to save a marriage where it wasn't functional. And a lot of people stay together for their kids, but I don't really think it's a benefit for the kids when they have to see the pain, you know, of their parents. And it's really interesting because my dad started out as the active member of the church and his family kind of fellowshipped my mom. And then As things went on, my dad quit going to church. My mom became active, kept going strong no matter what. My dad, he had some pretty mean actions towards my mom. I believe he probably had a lot of passive aggression because he didn't want to say how he felt, but he was super, super frustrated. And so I think it just built up. So a lot of that you talk about as your mom, but... What was going on for you? What was going on for me? Well, I do remember. So we lived in Tempe and then we moved out to Ahwatukee after I knew my mom was really upset about something, but we didn't know what it was, you know, because you know how, when you're a child, you're just kind of oblivious to what the possibilities would be, you know, because you're a family, right? And you're a family. You'll always be a family. Nothing will ever change, even if people don't get along, you know? You shouldn't have to make a choice between your parents. So, but when we moved to Ahwatukee, I remember I was in my bedroom. I can't remember when this was, the order of it, but I was in my bedroom. My dad came in to talk to me and I, and I was just laying in my bedroom in my canopy bed. And my dad came in to talk to me and he told me that he had been unfaithful to my mom. 
and that they were going to try to work through it. And I was like, (laughs) I couldn't believe it. Like that happens to other people, but that doesn't happen to you. But when I started thinking about it, well, it's been rough for them. I really loved him. We were really compatible and we saw a lot of things the same way. And my dad was a pretty spiritual man for a lot of his life. But when that happened, something inside of me just, I was just so disappointed and I was sad, but it helped me understand things. But the pain that my mom went through is just like, you know, to me, it is forgivable. But at that moment, it didn't seem like I would be able to forgive him. But I have now forgiven him. My mom was a freshman in high school when she found out this devastating news. They stayed together a long time after that, but things never got better. My grandpa even made my grandma start to believe something was wrong with her mentally. So she was gone for a few weeks to get some help. That was the best thing she could have ever done because when she did seek mental professional help, she had good doctors. Didn't take the doctors a long time to figure out that it really wasn't my mom who had all the problems (laughs) (laughs) and she didn't have any of the signs, you know, of why you would admit someone to a hospital for mental health. She just didn't have that. And actually she became very empowered because she was taught how to stand up for herself and was given tools. So that's really when she really grew up, I think, and she found her own voice and that was a big change in our life because she started having boundaries. Nope, we're not doing that. I'm not doing this. Then they moved to North Phoenix. It was at this point, my grandma got pregnant with my uncle, Sean. That was a miserable time for my mom because my dad was not very nice during that time. <laughs> There's times we went shopping in the store and my dad would just leave my mom standing there. She's pregnant. But Sean was such a gift to my grandma. He brought her joy in the midst of all of her trials. So fast forward to my mom's wedding reception. The topper is when I got married, you know, I have four brothers and me and my mom were really close. And on the day that we got married at the reception, my dad left before it was even over and didn't even say where he was going. So here my mom is, you know, with the marriage that she was hoping would be, you know, what she she had dreamed of when she stuck with the church when she was younger. Yeah, what she was willing to give up dancing for. Yeah. And so there she is with her parents who were like not happy that he left her like that. And she had all my presents. She had to pay all the reception people by herself and take all the presents home and then be at home, not knowing where her husband was, but being able to guess. And then me not being there anymore. And we were really good friends. Like she could pretty much tell me anything. And even though she's my mom, I really feel like we were putting this life together to really just be sisters. I think she just came first. (laughs) So anyways, then after that, I think that is when I told my mom, like within a month or so, I just said, I think it's not good. You're just trying to save something that's just not working anyway. So why don't you move on, see if you can find happiness in your life. My mom talked a lot about the stories from my grandma's point of view. And I wanted to get more into what this was like for my mom. What was she experiencing? My dad had bought me a bowling ball 
and I have a really fat thumb and I can't, I don't have any bowling balls that I can mm-hmm. hold <laughs> that fit my thumb that I can bowl with. So consequently, when I bowl, I swing my arm back, you know, like get ready to bowl <laughs> and the ball goes flying back behind me <laughs> and it never makes it onto the wood, you know, where it rolls down the floor. So my dad, you know, he, this is an example of giving a gift that one person thinks is amazing. And the other person is like, why would you give me a bowling ball? So he gave me a bowling ball for my birthday with no holes in it. And, but it was light. And so he was going to have it made for my thumb so I could bowl with him because he loved bowling. He's always bowled. Actually, my parents bowled on bowling teams together. Yeah. So anyways, we're in the car and we were talking about the ball and, but the bowling ball to me represented the other women in his life that he was hanging out with instead of my mom and a different life, you know, so that represented pain to me. So I didn't really want the bowling ball. So I told him, I just really don't want the bowling ball. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I just don't really want it. It just represents something to me that I'm not loving. So we're driving down the freeway. It's like hundred and I think it was probably like 113 or something. And I was married at the time and I had one baby. We lived in an apartment in Tempe and we're driving down the road. And I saw a lady on the side of the road that was stranded. She had her hood up and she was holding a baby and had a toddler in her hand, another kid hanging onto her leg. And she was on the side of the freeway. And so I just was thinking, oh yeah, we're going to stop. We always stop. I mean, I was just assuming it because that's why sometimes it took us a while to get home when my dad and I were gone because we'd be helping people. This time, her dad did not pull off to help. I was just assuming we were going to pull over. And then I said, did you see that lady? And he said, yes. And then I waited a while and I thought he was going to get off the ramp and go back and then come back on and we could pull over. And then he didn't do anything. And so I said, did you see that lady? And I asked him again and he goes, yeah, why? I said, are we going to help him? And he said, why would I do that? And I said, why would you do that? And just that little phrase to me, for some reason, just shattered my heart because like, I thought that was my dad and I, I thought we had a pact with each other that we help people, even if it takes sacrifice or we're busy, we stop to help people. That was just something that he always taught me. And so I just thought, I do not know who this man is that I'm in the car with. Like, I really don't. And I, I should have noted things earlier, actions and stuff, but you know, you always have that hope that it's not true. Or, you know, maybe it was just a particular reason what happened. I just said, okay, this is not, this is not the father that I remember or was raised by. And when I had that thought, All of a sudden, I've had like three times in my life, I felt completely lonely, but all of a sudden I just felt like um, in that show, I think, I don't know which baseball show it is, but where it says, focus the mechanism and then everything goes silent and it goes, and then he's a distant, there's nothing around him, just total silence. But it felt like that for me, but with darkness, it just was like, I have no father. (laughs) And it was like devastating to me. But, you know, the same, another person could have had that happen. Maybe they wouldn't have had that reaction. It was just the moment of realization for me. And it was stacking up. This is what happened. That actually caused me to kind of go into a state. I've been pretty mentally healthy most of my life. But actually, by the time he dropped me off to my apartment, I didn't really want to talk to him. I just said, well, I'm going to go in, you know, I'll see you later. 
And uh, so Darren, my husband, he goes, what's wrong with you? You do not look well. And I could barely walk. It was like my legs wouldn't work and my arms wouldn't work. And I believe that it's called being catatonic. And I was just not well. My dad had to go to work. So he called my grandma and my mom's brother. My brothers and his wife said they would drive me up to my mom who lived in Northern Arizona. So it was so weird. It was like an out of body experience because we were laughing and joking, but I felt like I was looking in a window to someone else's life. Cause I just felt so numb because I didn't realize, you know, I love my dad so much. And I guess I was just so disappointed. And all of a sudden I felt like, oh, we're not in this together anymore, but I should have realized that before. I just, you know, was in denial probably. Like I said earlier, I never knew my grandpa. So I was wondering, did my mom choose to cut him out of our lives after that? Did she set a boundary? Well, no, I don't think so. What happened is then my, when we were living up in Northern Arizona, my mom got remarried to my stepdad, Andy, who I'm so happy to have him in my life because he's been able to fill that job of, I can call him up and have him help me solve a problem that no one else wants to solve. <laughs> For example, mm-hmm. having the dog door put in, put in the wrong spot in my house and he came back and fixed it and just things like that. He'll do stuff for me like that. And he does it unconditionally. So I appreciate that. But my mom got married first and then my dad had a rough time. I think he worked at a prison as a guard or something and he met somebody and they decided they were going to get married and she was going to join the LDS church. And in order to do that, he had to go through, you know, some interviews. And during those interviews, the person who was interviewing told him that he needed to really talk to his whole family and tell them really the full truth about what had happened that one summer that we left. And so consequently, he tried to solve the problem, talk to each of us and my mom, which was okay. But then his future wife, I don't know if he's married or not. I can't remember. But she got involved and was pretty mean. And my dad had told my mom, not my stepmom, all these mean things. You know, that's the worst thing you can do when you get divorced is fill the head of the person that you're married with bad things about the previous person you're married to. Because it always backfires. Because when you're over it, you can forgive and move on. You have this person that's taken on your anger and it's like superpower anger. And then it's always felt. So I think that's what happened. So anyways, my dad and his wife were so out of control that there was a restraining order put on them to not come to my mom and my stepdad's house for good reason. (laughs) It wasn't a good situation. I grew up in that home that had the restraining order on it. Eventually, my grandma and Andy moved out and my parents bought that home. But before that, there was more tragedy in the family. My little brother, Sean, was killed in, a, in an accident. He was riding his bike and they were just going to have their first fort meeting. They, being Sean and his little buddies, they made this little shack that they called the Red Baron Fort. They'd been preparing for this big first day that they're going to have their meeting. They all went home and got their stuff, packed up their bags got dressed, you know, they'd, they'd even put in their, their own handprints on the shack outside of the home where they were going to have their Ford at called the Red Baron Ford. I think their hands are still up there all in red paint with their names on there. But anyways, so when they were coming back after all getting their stuff, they picked each other up, you know, on the way back to the one house. And my 
brother heard his friend, he either fell or something happened. So my brother turned around to check on him and his bike veered out into the road. But then there was a person, a woman who was driving by in a van and she, she wasn't mentally healthy at the time. And she also, I think she was nursing her baby and didn't have brakes. And so it was really, um, she, I don't even know if she saw Sean, but his bike hit the car, but it didn't hit him, but it jolted him off the bike. And then he hit the back of his head right here on the hypothalamus. And then his head began to swell. So they air him down to Phoenix Children's Hospital, a place we know well. <laughs> and um, his brain just swelled up too much. Imagine my grandma's stress. You'd think in a moment like this, people could put their differences aside and be kind to one another. But nope. My dad just did not demonstrate compassion in that situation. Remember, my grandma was married to Andy at this point, and Annie was doing everything. The kids were all on his insurance, and he paid for all of their needs. Not trying to replace their dad, but just trying to fill in those holes. Sean called my stepdad Andy, Dad A, and my dad B was Blaine. And so <laughs> that's clever. Dad A and Dad B. But after Sean, they had to turn off his machines because his brain was so swollen. When they turned off his machines, then my dad, I don't know, there was, I don't know if there's a lawsuit. I can't remember what happened, but my dad was just not nice about it. You know, like when a woman loose, loses her son, that's pretty powerful stuff. And he was he just, trying to get mad at grandma. Yeah. And if I don't know if there was a good job or something, I don't think that there was, there might've been some insurance money or something, but like my, I think my dad was coming in, like I'm the dad of this boy, which he was, but there's a lot of times when he didn't really fill that position completely. And yeah. so, but then he came in at the end and that was a really difficult time because when he came to the hospital, he didn't come by himself. He brought someone with him. And I don't, it's really hard for me to remember the order. I don't know if he was. If it was like a random lady or if it was his wife. It wasn't his wife. I can't remember if he was married at the time, but it was just like, whoa, it was a person from a different time period. I go, do you have no sensitivity? Like you should be careful when, I mean, even if, you don't care about your ex-wife, your kids, you know, it was just like, but really when I look back, I just see he was really, really lost. And to lose your family with your children, your daughter and your four sons is so painful. I'm sure it was so painful because I think about it. I have four son-in-laws and 12 grandchildren. And my dad has only ever seen, I think he saw you when you were a baby, when you were like maybe one. He came to see you when we went to get your tubes put in your ears. Mm-hmm. We were at my friend's house. But he came to see so, me specifically? Well, he just came to see me and you were with me and we're at my <laughs> friend's house. And at some point he just quit seeing me. So he was still around sometimes, but this next story is really when the relationship ended for my mom. And this is a cool lesson on setting boundaries. I'm proud of my mom. Remember the restraining order situation? During all that legal stuff, he had called my mom. He was calling me, kind of being rude to me. And then my stepmom was calling me and I'm going, I feel like I'm the adult here. Like I can be a child. 
Like I do not have to tell them what's right and what's wrong, but I don't have to, I have to draw boundaries for myself because I don't want to, there was a certain weakness that overcame me when I was with my dad because of the frustration of what he could have been and to see how we really was Mm -hmm. quite overwhelming. I just want to be a kid. I don't want to be a parent that needs to be worked out between you and Michelle and Andy and my mom, because I don't want to be involved in that. And so for a while I didn't see him. And then I realized that my life felt like it wasn't going anywhere. Like I felt stuck a little bit. And I realized that in order for me to be happy, I would need to forgive him for me. And at some point I just decided I got to draw the line. Like I made a deal with God that I would be a mother and a wife. And in order to be mentally healthy, I couldn't have my dad popping in every once in a while and messing with my mind. (laughs) And of course he didn't mess with my mind. I allowed him to mess with my mind. I'm not his judge. I wasn't walking in his shoes. So I just prayed to have that anger and frustration removed from me. And it was like, I can't even remember that anger now. I can't feel it. It was like totally taken away from me. The last time she saw him was when she was traveling with a friend and ended up in the town he lived in. We stopped at a subway or something. And I just happened to ask someone who was in there. I said, you don't happen to know a guy named you know, my dad's name. And it was, yeah, actually I changed his tires last week. And I go, do you know where he lives? And he says, I'll drive you out there. So we drove out, we followed him and he lived in a trailer, but it wasn't like trailer trash trailer. It was a nice trailer. (laughs) It was a single, single wide trailer. But funny thing about my dad is he was very good with his hands. So like he was a great painter. He was so good at painting and creating and So he had taken flagstone and created a flagstone garden all the way around the whole entire trailer with beautiful plants. And I don't believe his relationship, his second relationship was that strong. (laughs) And so I think he found a way somehow to just like find some joy by doing something creative. So I saw him that time, but the funniest thing, it was so shocking to see him. And he was a smaller man than I remembered like almost equal to him in height. I don't know if he shrunk or was unhealthy or whatever, but, and it was like seeing your father, but not really like, it was weird. I didn't give him a hug or anything. It was just weird. Like meeting someone you don't really know, but Mm -hmm. kind of recognizing those eyes and like, Oh yeah. So I saw him then my brother talked him into calling me when I had Emily And he talked to me. He was really nice. He said he wished he could come to see me. I think that's probably the last time that I talked to him, but I was really kind. And I never, I never said, I don't want you to be in my life for anything. But as he just kept not contacting me, first I sent birthday cards, but I heard they weren't being open. They were being ripped up or thrown away. So I thought, oh, that's not going to work. Even though the boundary was set, there was no anger. In fact, there was even still love. My mom used to teach English to Chinese kids online for a little while. And I decided that I was going to sing a song for him. It's called Leader of the Band. Mm -hmm. And I sang it for a lot of my students. So I sang it for him. And I sent the video to my brother, Chris, because Chris was close to my dad. 
And then I think my dad had it delivered to him. Jumping way ahead, like 2000 and something, after all my siblings and I were born, fast forwarding through a ton of other crap, we arrive to when my little sister was having health issues. They thought it was acid reflex until one day she had a seizure while she was swimming and drowned, which was actually a blessing in disguise because they found a brain tumor. So there were years of struggling there, but that is an entire nother episode. Anyway, during all of this, my mom got news that her dad was probably going to pass away. My brother called me and asked me if I could go and see my dad. And I had already set a boundary in my life that I wasn't going to let my past affect the joy that I felt in my present because I owed it to my husband and my children. And I think if I went and saw him in a really bad state, it probably would have messed with my mind. So I just decided, you know what? I've been available. He has not really reached out and contacted me. And so at that point, I just thought, well, if he contacts me, then, you know, I'm here. I'm not angry. I really am not angry and I have great love for my dad. I just, somewhere along the line, my dad disappeared for me. Eventually, he did pass. And I received a text like, hey, I should probably let you all know that Blaine died. And that was it. But I have to say, it's not that I didn't love my dad or was sad that he died. It's just that his physical death was way later than his spiritual death. And I'm a really spiritual person. So I felt like that left a long time ago and he was, he was lost. And so when I heard that he died, I had no feelings at all. Like it was weird. But I think it's because I had already dealt with his passing spiritually. Yeah, you had already mourned his loss, grieved his loss. Yes. With my mom's dad passing, let's take a quick break. Are these your pain points? Numbness. Do you feel emotionally numb, distant, as though you're living behind a glass wall? Anxiety. Do you feel shattered and immobilized by an overwhelming experience in your past? Disconnect? Do you feel disconnected from your loved ones and unable to find any real pleasure in life? You are not alone. I've been there. You can start today to trade numbness for resilience, anxiety for empowerment, and disconnection for determination to truly thrive again. My mom created a coaching program specifically for women who have been traumatized. If you've been curious about what life coaching might look like, join her for Red Eye Live, late night coaching for women. Instead of laying awake stressed at night, join us as she takes me through her program. It's real, it's raw, and if you want to be coached for free, you can sign up to be coached on Red Eye Live as well. Go to liveliferead.com. Link, of course, in the show notes. We are back with my mom, and her father passed away at this point in the story. So when I heard that he died, I had no feelings at all. Like it was weird, but I think it's because I had already dealt with his passing spiritually. And I do not judge him because I have a lot of faith. I have a brother, a son that I lost and a really young nephew. And from what I believe, when you get to the other side, that, if there are some people who have great faith, 
in God and Jesus Christ, that they could help those that did have faith and lost it, but now they see, I see how it is. And they probably have a lot of remorse for things that they've done. And they can't, I can't even imagine the remorse that my dad has felt all of his life. What a heavy burden. And so I envision that those three, my nephew, my son, and my brother, maybe they're helping him to find his way back. Now I see a little into where I got my forgiving heart from and the ability to give people grace. I'm still learning the boundary thing, though. (laughs) So how does this dad situation affect the rest of her life? I don't like Father's Day particularly. I don't naturally trust people, which I don't look down upon myself for that. I just really always know that I'll have to work extra hard to build relationships with people. Four out of the five of us girls are already married and moved out. So that was... Four daddy-daughter dances that passed without me ever thinking about my mom's lack of a daddy situation. We didn't see my grandparents a lot, so I just never thought about it. It was my sister's wedding reception, and my dad put on a whole show and really does this father of the bride thing large. Your dad is like a probe dad. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But my mom looked over at me when your dad was dancing with Heather, you know, like the father of the bride dancing with the bride. And she said, does that ever bother you? And I said, no, I didn't really think of that, you know, because I just have so much joy that you girls will never have to go through what I had to, but also, you know, connect that to my mom, how much sadness that she had that her daughter didn't have that. That's Mm -hmm. pain for her to consider that. And then the next step is blaming herself for you know, whatever part she played in, in that sadness. But I've always just chosen to be happy and chosen to accept my life. And there must be a reason for it. And I can help a lot of other people. I can read the pain. My mom was a teacher for a very long time and she notices things others might not. So she has helped a lot of students through tough situations. You know, divorce is so common nowadays that people think it's easier. It's not any easier. It's still painful for everybody, even though it's common, you know, it's still pain. But one thing that I have learned that I don't know that I've had the opportunity to say this, but right after that time where I felt really alone, you know, with my dad in the car, Mm -hmm. I came to two conclusions. When I prayed, I felt really lifted up one time and It was clear to me that I do have a father, my father in heaven. And when your earthly father is not there for you, then he can fill in the gaps. And so that's when I really learned to pray and to actually hear answers like someone's talking to me. And so I'm trying to think where I would be in my life if I wouldn't have that gift. So there's always something good that comes with something bad, something that can be learned. And then the other thing I thought, you know, on the freeway and I was with my dad and he said, why, why would I do that? When I asked him if he was going to stop, there was a time in his life. He knew the reason why we would do that. 
And the reason why he knew that is because he was in touch with his heavenly father and heavenly father taught him that is the way to be. And so I decided at some point, well, for some reason, my dad just couldn't carry on with that tradition in the last part of his life. Maybe too Mm -hmm. much pain, maybe too many poor choices. Who knows what it is? That's going to be his thing to carry. But he was taught by his heavenly father. And the best way I can honor my earlier dad, the dad that I know and love and learn so much from is by to live, live my life in the way that I wish he would have been the last part of always taking time to help other people, which is an interesting combination if you don't trust people, but you help people. So I also had to learn never expect anything back from anybody. Just give because you feel like giving, but don't expect anything back. But where I struggle is the next part. I don't expect anything back from anybody, but I definitely don't want to be treated rudely for me showing love. I love to give freely and I don't expect anyone to say, oh, that was amazing. That's not why I do. I just love to give. But if I've given everything I have, like 110%, which is what I always do, I never really do anything halfway. And then someone totally take what I did in an opposite way and like be rude about it. Like I feel like not only it's disrespecting me, but it's disrespecting love that I had in my heart that I was paying tribute to them. So that is a cycle that I'm aware of. That's not a healthy cycle. But that's a cycle that I probably will deal with in my life just because of the situation that I've gone through. We only got into really one dramatic event my mom has been through. Her list is a long one, as many of ours are. She had her dad break her heart, her brother dying, her son dying, many miscarriages, caring for her mother-in-law, putting up with five daughters, her daughters and grandchildren with big medical issues, one of them being my son, Jackson, with a major heart condition. I mean, that's just a glimmer into her life. With all of the craziness, I wanted to know. How do you know where to be for what situation? I answer the call from Heavenly Father. I hear it and I do it. Sometimes I can see things happening in a place like a scene there's a scene, a scene that I saw of Justin and Jackson in the hospital on the day that you weren't there. I saw that scene and felt impressed that I did not need to be helping that day. And then how do you deal with like, a lot of times Kelly had to be there for me because you were taking care of Noni oh, yeah. or Emily. Mm-hmm. And so if there was ever that feeling of like, wondering where my mom was, what would you do about that? Because I feel like you are often very misunderstood. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) I don't even get myself, but I think I'm spiritually autistic. (laughs) I think you might be be mentally (laughs) autistic, mom. (laughs) No, I'm just so in tune that way that sometimes I'm not in the real world, but I do. I'm not sure what the question is, but that reminded me of there was a day and I have this in my book. Um, there was two bad, two days where a lot of people needed me at once. And 
there was the day when Jackson had just coded. You had called me on the phone and you basically said you didn't want Jackson anymore. <laughs> like if God's going to be like this. I just want him to take you, take you, you know, and you were not in your right mind. And Emily, my youngest sister, I was holding Emily in my arms because she had just had a grand mal seizure. So while I was talking to you, I was holding her trying to get her medicine while I'm holding the phone on my right ear, trying to hold her and get the medicine in her mouth. And then I could hear Noni. My dad's mom. We call her Noni and her real name is Claudia. Ranting and raving downstairs because she wanted yogurt. And that was the time in her Alzheimer's stage where we had to lock the refrigerator and all the pantry and like her house was like a prison. (laughs) (laughs) And, And everybody all needed me at one time. And I just felt really calm. It was weird, but I did start having, which we can talk about maybe later, but like I did find a way to really connect with heavenly father. And I use this thing called Google drive prayer notes. That's what I call it. And when I was trying to help everybody out one time, cause I was also watching Brinley's twins somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Then Holly was calling cause Holly was sick. And then place was sick. And then my mom's mother-in-law was sick. And then my mom was stressed out from that. It was just like total chaos. I really don't know how I did all that, but I just decided I wasn't going to sit on my phone all day. Cause you know, like you want to escape that <laughs> really seriously. Where's the escape room? Cause you want to go there. And I would be looking through Facebook and I would see, you know, some of my friends and with their perfect makeup, And, you know, the hair great and their grandkids, you know, prom king, prom queen, someone just won a pageant. So-and-so is going to this college and, you know, all of this. And I'm thinking, what am I doing in my life? I had a lot of really negative thoughts. And then just randomly, I just had this question pop in my head. Isn't there something better you could do with your phone than just scroll through Facebook and all the social media? I did mostly Facebook though, because it's kind of old school. (laughs) So I scrolled through Facebook and, um, I didn't like the feeling that I got, you know, just that not good feeling about myself. So I realized it wasn't good for me. And so I, I got this message in my head instead of scrolling through Facebook, why don't you pray to your heavenly father and write down what he says? And so I started doing that. Like I typed it word for word. It was the coolest thing ever because the more I did it, the more direct information I would get. And the other thing is like two weeks later, I'd go back and read something that I had typed out in a prayer. It was so cool how I could see how all that had worked out in my life. And in our church, we have something called patriarchal blessings where you can go and you're like anywhere from 12 to however old you want to be and get a blessing, especially for what your mission is in your life. And I always thought, you know, it's cool to have that, but that's not the only way you can get direct knowledge. If you're open to it and you want to know, and you ask God, he'll tell you every day what you need to do, which thing is the most important thing. But I think it's a gift that I should thank my father for, because when he had those hard times in his life and I connected to heavenly father, I felt like I connected to the piece of my dad that I had lost. And also it's helped me through my life. I have great peace in a lot of turmoil. Kip and I both 
had said that we're never going to get divorced, but situations happen. And sometimes you're prompted to do something different, but there are scars that are left on people in different ways. I believe that I have a little bit of disassociation or disconnect from people. And for two reasons, one is because I'm listening to Heavenly Father. And the other one is because I don't move rapidly towards relationships with others until I know that I can trust that relationship. But I have learned if I pray about it and I follow those promptings, that's super helpful. So when my daughters, they're raised in a pretty happy family, we had some trials, but they weren't because your parents didn't love each other. They probably will never understand what that emptiness feels like to have that empty part of you that won't ever be filled. So it doesn't make you completely as functional as a person who hasn't been through that. I think what you're trying to say is that like, while we all have our own problems, we might never understand the piece of you that is broken. Yes. And how that causes me to make certain decisions or react in a certain way that I may not have reacted before. Because, you know, let's say you have to do something and you're really nervous about it, like driving. Like if you've driven for a long time, you just hop in the car and drive, right? But if you hop in the car for the first or second time, everything is really intense. You know, like you stop, you brake fast because you're in fight or flight mode. And so I think that I live a lot of my life in the fight or flight mode for two reasons. One, because of my parent situation and one, because of all the different things that have happened in our family, just being prepared for emergencies. So let's say you've been driving for a long time and I said, oh, you forgot to turn your blinker on. You go, oh, sorry. I didn't mean to not do that. But if I was like a brand new driver and you said, hey, you did not turn your blinker on, I'd be like, I might be offended. Like I can do this, you know, don't tell me what to do, you know? And so just in my life, you know, what may seem easy, like having a whole family over for Christmas might be something that I was hyper-focused on, like getting every detail, you know, perfect. So it would be the Christmas maybe that I never had. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. Just kind of taking... the same thing your mom did for your wedding. Wow. Okay. You're about to get some Thomas family dirt. So if you've ever thought that we look like the perfect family, here's a glimpse beyond our white picket fence. I'm so grateful she brought up a family gathering. This has been something we struggle with since all of us are married and have a lot of new personalities in the family. So let's go back to December 2017. This was the year from hell for me. My son had finally come home from the hospital after two open heart surgeries, coding, three months in the hospital, and now was weaning from his painkillers that he had been on for the whole three months. My husband and I were stressed to say the least, Jackson had pulmonary hypertension and a slow heart rate, so the heart monitor alerted constantly. There was a feeding bag and pump connected to his nasal feeding tube, plus his oxygen tubes all over the place, prepped meds that needed to be given 15 times a day, and that's not an exaggeration, by the way. It was at least 15 different medications. So I was super excited. Justin was going to take one for the team and stay home so I could come up for a breath and go to a one-night event with my family. See, we had tried to do like the whole week together, 
or like three days, but pretty much someone usually ends up going home upset. So my mom planned one evening, one event. What could go wrong? So I'm sure you can picture it. Here I am headed off to finally get a break. And I show up and there's just some hangry, frustrated vibes all around. My mom and dad had just put his mom into a home and were moving out of the home where the event was. So they were a little late. The tension was high. And now I know why. Everyone seemed to be frustrated at everyone, but especially my mom. We were about 10 minutes into making dinner, French toast actually, and I knew my mom liked how my husband Justin made his French toast, so I was trying to tell her the right way to cut it. My dad was frazzled and tried to tell her the right way to do the eggs, and in a blink of an eye, the situation pretty much self-destructed. My mom walked home to the apartment. Dad followed, of course. As the four oldest sisters, we couldn't decide what to do. I was so peeved. I wanted one night of happiness. Was that too much to ask? I just went home. Some of my sisters went to talk to my mom, and the whole thing just sucked pretty bad. Since then, I have been so sad and so frustrated. Why can't we all just get together? What the freak is the issue? Why was my mom being the way she was? And if I'm being really honest, I have even felt frustrated at my mom thinking she's the reason that we can't all get together. But look at the life she's had. I never once considered why. How rude of me. Look at everything that she's been through. Honest to goodness, even when I wrote my book and listed all the different things I've been through, I was thinking, what will I say on an interview? Because I don't really feel like I got the short end of the stick. I feel like I have a really good life and that I've been really blessed. And so there is a sadness. There's a hole in my heart about my dad. And I can think about it. Poor me, because my relationship wasn't good with my dad. I lost my dad. But I can think blessed daughters that they won't have to have that experience ever in their life because you guys have an exceptional dad. Mm -hmm. And so that's a gift he gives to me every day. I don't think I want people to share their stories on my podcast to have the poor me mentality or like everyone's the victim. I think what I'm seeking for is just a greater understanding for people. So like not we all go around pity each other, but just like, I'm just grateful because next time I'm irritated with something you do, I won't just be irritated with like, (laughs) (laughs) just the, just the act of like, it frustrates me when our family can't all get together. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking like these things that annoy my brother-in-laws about you. And then when you do something that like validates their annoyance and I'm like, Oh, why'd you do that? Because now our family can't get together, but really (laughs) it's not, this is probably hurting your feelings, but what I'm saying is not hurting my feelings. (laughs) What I'm saying is now not feeling like, Oh, poor my mom, she lived through all this, but now I have this greater understanding of like, oh, I didn't realize you were living in that fire flight. I didn't realize that bingo game we were playing was an act of you trying to make sure that we have a beautiful life. You know what I'm saying? Uh So I don't think it's about feeling bad for each other or becoming victims. I think it's about just if we could tell these stories and hear these stories, then we can maybe get out of our own shoes and into someone else's and then just understand. Yeah, and I think with all of my son-in-laws, I've been working really hard to just go with the mentality, stop the judging, because 
I don't know what they've been through. I mean, I know some of the stuff that they've been through. And I also notice when I stop listening to the siblings telling what about a different husband or different, you know, whatever. And when I go to that home, I've just tried really hard to work harder on making sure I always tell my son-in-laws that I love them and I appreciate them and always greet them first just to show like honest to goodness love for them and to pray for them. And it's hard to have all of our family together in one place because there's, we have some conflicting personalities with different people in our family, but I just decided, well, my home is open. So anyone all can come if they want to, but you know, maybe some of the conflicts that we had is because of all the trauma our family has been through. My goodness, like even two of the things that our family has been through is quite a bit, you know? Yeah. And it was all kind of happening at the same time. (laughs) And then the anger I hold in, like the anger, because that night when everything, when we had our drama family Christmas Eve (laughs) was when I was like, oh, I get to go take a break from my trauma with Jackson and just get to uh-huh. be with my, my beautiful, amazing, perfect family. Yes. And then it wasn't. And then I held anger for so long. Like what is wrong with these people that they can't just get their act together so that I can enjoy my <laughs> life for a night. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty crazy, but that situation is a really good learning situation. And that's when I learned about my fight or flight mode and that there was going to be things that my daughters wanted from me that maybe I just don't have inside of me. Like they're expecting me to understand something like for my brothers, it was hard because they never really saw an example of what they should be like. And so it's hard to do it if you haven't seen it. But I was just going to say in that situation, I think there were a lot of people who were angry at different things in their life. And so I had been in that home with Noni taking care of her and we had just moved out. And your dad was super anxious about being in that home after his mom passed away because he didn't want to be taking advantage of the trust or whatever. I was trying to help him get out of the house as fast as he could. And I was just focused on him, really just getting him through that. And so just everybody ended up in our house. And so we thought, oh, we'll just let everybody stay in that house and then we'll stay in the apartment. And it was just a miscommunication and anger, not communicated in a good way. And it just built up. And so when I walked into that home that I had felt love in, I did not feel a good spirit. And what it was is just contention. Contention. That feeling she had become so accustomed to as a child and worked so hard to avoid in her own home for her family and mental health. The flight mode kicked in and she had to leave. She had actually had a very beautiful dream or vision that she was planning to share that night. It was so beautiful. And I was actually going to share it that night with everybody. And I'm wondering if maybe I wasn't supposed to share that. (laughs) Maybe that's what was supposed to happen. But, you know, even that, I've worked harder on relationships with some of those daughters that were not happy with me. So there were some good things. But what happened is it just triggered me because, see, contention, you know, that's what I was in all the time. Everybody has their own thing going on in their mind. And so when I'm coaching people, I actually use this thing called zoom out and we'll talk about a situation and we'll just talk about, okay, tell me how you felt. I talk them all the way through the situation. Then I back them out a little bit further, like a a zoom out of the situation say, okay, now let's be somebody else. 
like say if it's a husband and wife, then I say, okay, I want you to take on his role and tell me his viewpoint, what you would think it would be, even if it's not nice. Uh (laughs) And then a third time backing out, zooming out and then say, okay, let's say you're an observer. You have nothing to do with anybody. You're just observing the scene. And then just, that's a way to get people out of their head. And I've learned to do that for myself because I have this philosophy called the file cabinets, which I think I'm going to write a book about, but I used to have a friend that I worked with and she might listen to this, but she had a file cabinet that I could see that just had papers flying out of them. It was so messy and mine was organized. And so every once in a while I would help her with the file cabinet. We'd organize all, put the papers in neatly where they went, same papers, no more, no less. And then we could close the drawer and it was great. And I think sometimes we have so much stress and anxiety, contention, anger, unexpressed feelings that are just crammed in our brain, a mess. And if we're willing to take out a file at a time and sort through it, like, okay, I need to sort through, like, for example, with Jackson, I need to sort through what happened in those 24 hours with Jackson when he coded, what happened and feel that get those papers in order, and then say, during this time, this is where I was, and label it. Like, this is how I label that, and deal with it. You do that with the different situations of your life, stick it back in your file cabinet, it's nice and neat, and then you can move on with your life. But I think that Christmas Eve was, everybody's file cabinets were a mess. I mean, we had kids having seizures, brain surgeries, anxiety. We just had someone pass away. We had a lot going on. Mm-hmm. So so anyways, we were probably like- let that all go. <laughs> yeah, like triggers. Do you know what I'm saying? It was probably we're like, you know, ricocheting. Yeah, just ricocheting <laughs> off the wall. But the thing that got me- was it took me back to my family, like what we first, what you first asked me about is the arguing and the loudness and the contention. Mm-hmm. So that's one of my goals is to not have that. And so I can't function in that. So when I walked into the house, it was like, I could feel it before anyone said anything. I could feel it. And I said, my spirit can't be here. So I had to take my body with me because my spirit's inside my body. <laughs> <laughs> and I walked home. So <laughs> it wasn't your French toast comment. I, my spirit was offended. My so spirit somewhere. was offended because I just needed a break. I think we all just needed a break. Yeah. And I that. think people were maybe wanting me to be their break, you know, like to. Yeah, but you needed a break too. <laughs> yeah. Cause I remember one time I was coming from Colorado after living there for a year. We drove into Snowflake, which is where we're going to live for a while. And your dad had gotten a job. And all the way driving, I mean, I was at my wits end and I remember I was driving the car and I had envisioned the whole time that when I got out the car, I was just going to fall into my mom's arms and just cry and let her hold me. You know, that's what I just wasn't envisioning. Of course, it didn't happen, but, you know, knowing that she probably would have done that if I would have asked her to do it or whatever. But sometimes we feel like we need someone just to lift us from those things. But I actually did work out that situation after. And this is the cool thing after being having my feelings hurt by my children, which had never really hurt my feelings in their adult life. It gave me a chance to see what it might have been like for my dad, because 
to have daughters disappointed in you. I thought, well, I don't really think I did anything to deserve that. You know what I'm saying? How you Mm -hmm. get, it doesn't matter who you are. But I thought, now I know what it feels like to be my dad, like to have people look at you with disappointment. And so it gave me a little feeling of like, you know, what would that be like? And it's kind of a humbling experience. Wow. That was really healing for me. I didn't realize how much sadness I had from that one crazy night of contention. And my poor mom lived a childhood full of that. Last episode, I talked about how maybe we don't need to make huge expectations for our kids or our parenting. Now I'm realizing we need to stop expecting our parents to be who we need and want them to be for our sake and just let them be who they are. And obviously set necessary boundaries where you need to. And guess what? Even though I know this, I am 100% probably still going to have some moments of irritation at my mom. Honestly, humans can be irritating. What relationship do you have where the person has never once irritated you? I don't think it exists because being human is messy. Emotions have to cycle through us. But guess what? You can totally love someone deeply while feeling irritated with them. And it does help to know them, truly know them. I'm so glad to have such a kind mom who would do anything she could to help us when she feels guided to do so. I wouldn't change her. Spiritual autism and all. (laughs) And with that, I asked. What do you wish people saw beyond your white picket fence? Well, I'm a survivor of broken heart. But you know, Jesus had a broken heart too. And he wants us to have that experience so that we understand. You know, my mom said one time after Sean died, a lady from... I don't know if it's a general authority or a mission president's wife or somebody said she had a dream of herself being in an elevator that went down really fast and she had fallen on the floor or something and she could see down on herself and she looked like she was totally fine, but actually every bone in her body was shattered and she had lost a child too. And so she had shared that with my mom that you can look normal from the outside, but inside you could be completely shattered really. And people wouldn't know. So I do have a broken heart, but it's been healed by Heavenly Father. And if I can offer my help to other people to lead them to Heavenly Father. And one thing I'm really proud of with my daughters is when I'm with them and see how they live their lives, they represent the most important thing to me, which is showing care for other people and putting others above themselves which is what my dad and my mom taught me. And and I've seen it in every situation. Heather was telling me how she, they came here to do a wedding. They were like, I don't know, a lot of money. And some lady approached her in the grocery store. She was a refugee and she had a cart full of groceries, but didn't have any money. And Heather just gave her the money. They had just came to Arizona to earn. And I've seen Holly reach out and do big things for people, even in the midst, like giving her favorite blanket that she survives in with her anxiety, giving it to a child who was cold in the hospital room when she was there with her own son who was having a life-threatening situation with seizures. And I've seen it in Brenly when she was dealing with a miscarriage. She had just had a miscarriage and hadn't had any children yet, I believe. And her friend needed her to go and be with her during labor and delivery. And she went and did that. And right after she had a miscarriage and 
the one thing she wanted more than anything was a baby, but she wasn't in that situation, but she went to help someone. And then I, I see you every day reaching out to other people, always reaching out, stopping, helping people. And Emily, I see the same thing, you know, trying to reach out and show love for other people on the internet or whatever. So that's a great gift. That's a legacy that lived on through my parents, even though through the difficulties, they were able to do that through me. And you guys have been blessed to have husbands who also have that love. So love changes everything. Thanks for listening to another episode of Beyond the Picket Fence. Do you or someone you know have a story to share? Feel free to reach out to me through my Instagram, Facebook DMs, or through my website. And remember, be kind, because you never know what's going on for someone beyond the picket fence. Woo, that was a long one, folks. So if you're still here, here's a funny little conversation I had to cut out. Thanks for sticking around. Is it really true that I was supposed to be a boy? (laughs) Your dad said he was going to grow a mustache until you were a boy. I go, this is smart for a science teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he thought you were going to be a boy. Well, he just told himself that. But the doctors didn't tell you I was going to be a boy? No, you did have a pretty fast heartbeat. Uh, Wait, is there supposed to have slow if you're a boy? Uh, I don't know. I can't remember, but it was borderline. So I made up a story in my own head that I had been like prescribed to be a boy. And then I came out a girl. Oh, no, no, (laughs) no, you, you were a girl, but we did have son's basketball socks for you because the doctor actually had you be born early so that he wouldn't miss the son's playoff game. The doctor. Yes. <laughs> it was That's really good. so doctor. interesting how I created this whole story because in my head, I created a story that the doctors told you guys I was a boy and then I came out a girl and I wore boys clothes for like two weeks. Do you know how many people I've told that my whole life? That's right. So many. <laughs> that's a lie. If I've ever told you that story, that's a lie. Okay, that's really it. Bye.